Okay, open your Bibles, please, to the, the book of the Revelation. Open it to chapter 22. The heavenly vision that began in Revelation chapter 1, as John said, on the Lord, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and then he had a magnificent vision of the risen Christ who told him to write a book and then gave him specific, specific epistolary messages to seven churches in Asia Minor. Following those messages, John's vision continued, and he, had, he heard a voice say, come on up here. And John went through a doorway, and he entered into a, a vision of heaven, and he experienced one of the most mysterious and powerful apocalyptic visions that we have record of. I would say that anyone's ever experienced, but that certainly anything we have record or divine record of. Where he saw the risen Christ, he heard his messages to the churches, he saw the throne room and the one who sits on it and living creatures, and he saw redemptive history unfold time and again, recapitulating and telling us the story of God's, God's, God's plan and his judgment and his, and his plan to redeem and to restore. And, and he saw this thing happen over and over again. Many times John is overwhelmed and finally, toward the end, John sees that, that the, the bride is, is one, that Christ comes, that there is final judgment. He sees even the great white throne and all of heaven and earth disappear and everyone stand before, standing before God in judgment. And then he sees in wonder and in beauty, finally, the power of the age to come, the new creation. Descending out of heaven like a magnificent jewel. He's without words. He describes it, throws every word he can at it. And he describes, he describes to us paradise restored and the reign of God. And finally, in verse 5 of chapter 22, the entire vision ends. with something like the Hallelujah Chorus. And they will reign forever and ever. Somebody should say praise the Lord. With these words, John provides the readers of this book with a transition back to the world of the here and now. Some of you have said kind things about our time, our study in Revelation. No one has said anything mean. I don't mean it. But some of you have said extraordinarily generous things about our time. Some of you have ventured a wager or a, a request that we just start over and do it again. <laughs> These, <laughs> but here's the truth. We live in the here and the now. This book is real, but this book is intended not for us to camp in a pie-in-the-sky, 
just waiting for something to happen. This book is intended to fuel our faith, to make our hope firm and resolved, to make us stalwart people who understand that we have been stamped with eternity and that there is an age to come, that the powers and promise of that age are pledged to us now and and our future gives us focus. So we are back now. John's audience is back to the familiar setting of Asia. And now in these closing portions of chapter 2, chapter 22, John reminds them of what they've heard and the importance of this book. And his final cry, his final cry is for Jesus to come. Beginning at verse 6 this morning. Verse 6 is the summary of the whole book of Revelation as in the transitions to the epilogue here. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The words of this book are faithful and true. Would you say it with me? Faithful and true. And the Lord God, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Verse 6 then serves as a concluding statement for the vision, the specific vision that we saw in chapter 21 and goes all the way through 22.5. This concludes our glimpse of the world to come. These words and the words of the entire book of Revelation, they are faithful By faithful, that means they are trustworthy. They will not fail. These words in this book will not fail. You can count on them. They cannot be stopped. And they are true. You can rely on them. They are reliable. The whole book of Revelation is this to us. And then the the angel said, the spirits, this is a plural, so we're not talking about the person of the Holy Spirit here, but the the spirits of the prophets, speaking of the, the inner faculties of the prophets, you say, which prophets? Yes. Old Testament? Yes. New Testament? Yes. The spirits of the prophets, he is the God of those spirits, and those inner faculties are raised and quickened by the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to see once again that, this, that, that, that we are told that he is the God of the prophets and of prophecies. It's important that we note that all prophecy moves toward the same goal. Prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It is the plan and the power of redemption and judgment and of new creation. This is the voice of God. And he said he has told us things that must soon take place. Everybody say soon take place. Now, this is where people get all worked up. Soon take place. Well, that means that all of this happened before 70 AD. We are going to be radical preterists. Jesus already came. Well, then we're out of luck. No, 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 no. By soon take place, that does not, even the text, the language does not require us to mean that everything in the vision will happen and be concluded immediately. It means the language is satisfied, the Greek is satisfied, if we understand that what we, are, we read is, there will be, as, as John is writing this, there will be no delay in the beginning of what we see happening. It was about to start, and it would continue, and nothing would stop it. See, from, from, 
from heaven's perspective, the content of this book is imminent. It's close. From heaven's perspective, the content of this book, there is an urgency to the content here. Would you all say urgency? There's an urgency here. And because of that, when we, we need to feel about it the way heaven feels about it. Heaven sees it as urgent that we hear and respond to this. And so we must, the, the best and the wisest thing to do is then to partner with heaven itself and to respond to this with an urgency that what we read in this text, we should be diligent about. We should be earnest ab- about it. We should be reverent. We should live eager for heaven. We should keep an eye on eternity. We should remember eternity is real and is trying to get our attention. And we should be obedient and patient and persevering in the meanwhile. Finally, now, verse 7. And behold. I have prayed so often this week. I, I, I pray often every week. But I, I, the specific prayer this week is I, I'm, and I guess now that I say it out loud, it sounds silly because I, I should feel this way every week. But I just don't, I realize there is no way that I can humanly convey the majesty of what we're about to hear. So I'm going to say it, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us feel it. Because here it is. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book, the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming quickly. Coming and coming quickly is a theme of this book so far. Throughout Revelation, we have heard that. It's not that he suddenly feels this way in chapter 22. As a matter of fact, remember, we have, for all intents and purposes, we have landed. We're back on the Isle of Patmos. We're back. We're back sitting on this aisle, and, and we have come. We have stepped out of this magne- the, the vision, but we're still hearing the voice of God. And it's this, behold, I am coming quickly. We heard this in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, when it says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Come on, somebody say, he is coming. He is coming with the clouds, and it says, every eye will see him. And then it says, so it is to be, amen. 3.11, he says it again, I am coming quickly. 16.15, behold, I am coming like a thief. He is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He is coming. Verse 7, part B says, bless. In light of that, that is the the impetus behind this next statement, this, this beatitude, if you will, this blessing. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Everybody say heed. We know what that word means. That doesn't mean that we just say it out loud or that we've heard it said, but that we hear and respect to this, that there is a response from us. Prophecy always demands a response. To heed this word is to respond to it. And once again, there is a blessing declared over anybody who will heed the words of this book. Does anybody want to be blessed? Does anybody want the blessing of heaven? Oh, you say, oh, now you sound like one of them prosperity preachers. Well, I certainly hope so. I don't want to be a disparity preacher, okay? okay. But uh, anybody want to be blessed? Because apparently blessing is God's idea, and he promised he's sending out blessing for anybody who will hear and obey, anybody who will hear his word, anybody who will hear these words and respond, there's blessing for them. 
I'll tell you what, I think that this church has already seen blessing. We're going to see more. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Connected to his coming or because he is coming, the hearer is urged to heed these words. And we've heard this. This, we, this book started this way. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are in it for the time is near. He is coming. And that coming here is intended to prompt radical faithful obedience to the implied and to the direct commandments in this book. All the way back to chapters 1 and 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, heed his word because the time is near. Heed his word. I realize sometimes you th- we think about seals and, and trumpets and bowls, and we think, well, how am I supposed to heed trumpets and seals? And am I supposed to dodge lightning and mountains falling out? What am I supposed to heed there? Don't miss The commandments be out because you are distracted by or enamored by the the prophetic symbolism of, of what's happening. In the midst of all of this, we have heard, repent, return to your first love, be faithful, reject false teaching that promotes idolatry and immorality, hold fast, persevere, come out and be separate from Babylon. Be loyal to Christ, overcome. And then really, there's one word, that there's one command that summarizes all of them. We've heard it once before, and we're about to hear it again. Let's pick it up in verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But... That's, a, that's an important but. I was going to say that's a big but, but then you'd chuckle. That's an important but. But he, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a, listen to this, this angel, this magnificent thing that is, is so remarkable, John feels such a gravity, he's enamored, and he just feels like this compulsion to fall down and worship him. John's not an idolater. He's hung out with Jesus, but there's, just, there's such a glory here, he's compelled. But the angel says, no, 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 don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours. I'm with you. Of you and your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. See, this, we're still back to the importance of heed the words. I'm coming. Heed the words. And the angel said, I'm with every, I am on the side of everybody who's obeying these words. Anybody who ever wish you had more angelic help? You know how to get angels on your side? Heed the book. He's looking, they're, looking to, they're looking to help people who want to heed the book. Then he says this, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, with everyone who heeds the words of this book, period. One sentence, imperative, worship God. Everybody say it with me. Worship God. There is, what's the, how, what, what word, if, we, if you wanted to boil down, narrow down, reduce the, the command of revelation, what am I supposed to heed, Lord? Worship God. Because what does that include? Repentance, returning to your first love, faithfulness, rejection of false teaching, rejection of idolatry, immorality, holding fast, being prevered, coming out of Babylon, being loyal to Christ. It, it, it includes all of them. Worship God. 
And so we see here in verse 8, this is John's, and you can hear it even in the book of John and in his epistles, it is John's literary practice when he writes to attest to what he's writing. He always calls himself as a witness. He's essentially giving an oath that this is real. He describes his own experience and how moved he is. And then again, we hear these words, worship God. Would you all say it with me one more time? And then verse 10, then he said to me, the angel said to me, we're still talking about how important it is. Behold, I am coming. Heed these words. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. We've heard that a lot. Can we all just say, for the time is near? And, I, and just in case anybody, because I, 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 I read you know, a lot of the commentators and people fuss and fume and argue about the time being near. And, you know, you, you might be one of those that say, hey, wait a minute, this was written 2,000 years ago. Just how near is it? Well, here, once again, the point is this. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout history. Whenever she has kept an eye on eternity, whenever she has lived like he is near or the time is near, that is when we are faithful and fervent and fruitful and effective. That is when we live in, in harmony with the heartbeat of heaven, He's coming. He's coming. When we live in harmony with that heartbeat, we are at our very best. And if you live your whole life fervently expecting Jesus to come at the next moment, and that influences your decisions and how you pray and how you think and how you obey and how you serve and and things you do and things you choose not to do, and at the end of your life, He hasn't come yet, do you know what you'll get? A reward. You will will have lived the best life, and He he will have recorded everything you've ever done, and we'll hear about it. That will be a richly lived and rewarded life. He said to me, don't seal up the words of this book, for the time is near. In other words, listen, friends, don't hide this book. Don't ignore this book. Don't save the study of Revelation for special circumstances or for expensive seminars. Don't make it too difficult to read. Its, it's, it's big points are too important, and they are quite clear. The time is near. There is a greater reality coming. Eternity is real and is trying to get your attention Jesus is Lord, and He is coming. Verse 11, let the one who does, listen to this, this is still talking about urgency. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. What? And the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. What? What he's saying here is that obedience is such an urgent matter because in heaven's view, the time is short. And the major thrust of this verse 11 is that people are certain to reap the consequences of the kinds of lives they have lived. Their character has already been determined by a lifetime of habit. But, but, and I'm not alone here, many commentators and many people are hopeful are saying that this is also somehow because we've come back to the Isle of Patmos and we're reading this, somehow this is still meant to be a challenge for the reader to repent. There, John is saying that there will be eventually no opportunity for last-minute repentance. The Lord will come too quickly for that. So therefore, repent now while there is time. And finally, this verse 11 still says this to the readers. It means that you, you his readers, you respond to the prophetic word. You live righteously and holy even if 
others are not. Then now we come back again. So the first part, behold, he is coming and he is word. And then the rest of that kind of is an echo or an explanation of that. And now we take a breath and we hear it again. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Behold, he is coming and his reward is with him. The sovereign Lord is coming with reward. That hope, again, that is the answer to a long-term biblical hope. The idea that, that, that God is coming and bringing reward with him, we can find it in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 10, where the prophet says, But the Lord, the Lord God, will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Again, in Isaiah 62, verse 11, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. So this is an Old Testament prophetic hope that the Lord is coming with his reward with him and to render. Reward and recompense. But here's what's cool. Among the things that are cool is that in Isaiah, it's the Lord God. This is Yahweh is coming. Yahweh is on his way. And that's the right response, Ron. Ron says, praise Jesus. Because when we get to Revelation 22, what we hear is Jesus saying, and that's me. That's me. Jesus is the Lord God, and He is coming. He is coming. Jesus is the one talking, and His reward is with Him. And He will render to every single human being according to what they have done. Every human who has ever lived will give a full account of their lives to Jesus. Every human being who has ever lived, every human being in this room, you will give a full account. We will give a full account of our lives to Jesus. And for the believer, the rest of the New Testament helps us understand, and this passage is also clear, for the believer, for the obedient, he is coming with reward. He is most eager about that. Behold, I am coming and my reward is with me. Come on, say it with me out loud, will you? Behold, I am coming and my reward is with me. Christ is coming and looking to reward your life. It's good news. He's coming. He's coming with blessing. He's coming with reward. But the question is this. What is Christ looking to reward? What would he reward in your life? See, he's not looking to reward us for being busy. Have you had about enough of yourself and others just saying that? Well, no, I'm really busy. I'm really busy. Because it becomes a, it's become a status symbol to claim that you're busy. Well, you must be important. And if you're not busy, not important. So we occupy ourselves being busy. 
so that we stay important. You know what he's not going to come reward? Busy. He's not going to be that impressed. Oh, you were busy. I have things. I have things. I have lots and lots of things. I have so many things, I rent another place to store the things that I don't need. But I have things. I have very expensive things. Fine, fine. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the, you can enjoy the blessing of the Lord. God bless you. I want you to have nice stuff. Mrs. Dav, love, you have something nice? Call her. She will, she will celebrate. Everybody loves to tell Mrs. Dad when they got something new because she's the happiest for you. But he's not. Babe, honestly, I, I, you know I love those shoes. Jesus is not coming to reward. He is not coming to. No, she says, yes, he is. He is not coming to reward your silver Dallas Cowboy boots. He's not. Oh, you have a, you have a nice house. I want to reward. You have a truck. You have two houses. Well, you get more reward. Well, that's fine, but that's not what he's looking to reward. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Enjoy the blessing of the Lord. We're, uh, Lori and I are the biggest fans. We want you to be blessed and blessed again. Super blessed. I need you to be blessed. Church needs you to be blessed. How are we going to adopt kids unless we're all blessed? It's adoption month, right? Rough ballpark. What's it cost to adopt a kid? Ballpark. Say it. Say it out loud boldly. 40000 40, bucks for a life. For a life. You know what we're going to need? To be blessed. That's right. We're going to need some granola. We're going to need a whole lot of granola if we're going to do a whole lot of good. So let me be clear. I want you blessed and blessed and more blessed. But speaking of things he might reward, how about saving lives? You know, he was hanging out in that temple, and he saw that widow come in and just put two mites in, and he said, noted. He said, he said I'll be back for that. I'll take that personally. Sacrificial giving, honor. What's he coming to reward? He's not looking to reward you for being liked. Yeah, like on Facebook. Like, if you have a whole bunch of followers on Facebook, he's not going to come for you first. Well, clearly, look how many likes you're putting. I got a hundred, I got like 200 birthday wishes. And let me tell you what, I take every ounce of carnal pride in that. And for years, my wife used to try to compete, and now she just doesn't even try. Because now I'm importing birthday wishes from Nigeria and Cuba. I just love it. But you know, Jesus is going to come back and say, oh, Dad, look at your Facebook birthday wishes. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. <laughs> He's not going to do that. He's not coming to reward your social status, your rank, or your seniority. I want you to have all those things. I do. The, prom- the promises of God, we need to live this. I want you to live your best and fullest and most, just the most abundant life. But he's coming to reward your faithfulness. He's coming to reward your obedience. He's coming to reward all that you have done unto him in obedience to God and in love for others. There isn't anything that you've ever done for him or for somebody else that he hasn't written down. He's coming.
coming to reward the obedient, the faithful, the loyal. He is looking to reward your faith and your faithfulness. And remember, this is no angel who's coming. It's not, he's, we, not Gabriel, it's not Michael, it's not the other fellers. You know, there's like seven other names. We don't have them in our Bible because we decided not to have that part, but there's like seven names. We only got two of them. Good for us, Protestants, okay? But there's a whole bunch. Not that there's not, no big shot angel is coming. Here's who's coming. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the, 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 the title that is claimed by Yahweh in Isaiah 44, 6, and Isaiah 48, 12. But Christ identifies himself as this person in the, from the beginning of the book. Revelation 1, 8 and verse 17. Revelation 2 and verse 8. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and he is coming. And verse 14 says, blessed are those. He's coming with his reward. He's coming to respond. So who's who's he looking for? Blessed are those. The first blessing was for those who heed the word. But now this blessing is for who? Those who wash their robes. Your Bible might say the obedient, and it's the same principle. But it's probably a better translation to say those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates of the city. There is eternal reward for those who are ready. And by, the, by washing of their robes, that, that we haven't left that. That goes all the way back to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14 when it's talking about the redeemed, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He is looking for those who have placed their trust in his sacrifice on their behalf. Those who are marked by, who have said, just so sweet to trust in Jesus and have looked for the blood of Jesus to cleanse their lives. He's looking for those who have washed their lives in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Only the blood of Jesus and his saving death can wash away our sin. What can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. His saving blood washes my sin. It renews us and makes us righteous. And only those people go through the gates into that city. Only those, listen, properly dressed for the wedding feast. Properly dressed. What does that mean? Go back to Matthew 22, verses 11 through 13. Jesus is telling a story about a parable of the wedding feast. And after compelling everybody to come in, after calling, everybody's called to come. Everybody's compelled to come into the feast. But you don't get to choose your own clothes. To come, the, the invitation is to everybody. In fact, you're being compelled to come, but you must wash your robe in the blood of Jesus. Here's verse, verse 11. But when the king came in and saw and to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? Remember, only the ones whose robes were washed could come into the city. He said, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. 
There is no answer. There is nothing that can be said outside. There is no claim. There is no argument for salvation outside of Jesus Christ. The man was speechless. Then verse 13, take a deep breath. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to hear the phrase, throw him outside. Everybody say that out loud with me. Throw him outside. Because that's what we need to understand. The next, the very next part here helps us understand. Because verse 18 says, outside of what? Outside the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers. By the way, just in case, he doesn't, this isn't, don't, don't proof text this. Make it literal and say, look, God hates dogs. That, that, began, that phrase began in Deuteronomy, and it, has, it, is, it is a very specific sexually immoral term. Selah. Okay? Outside are, are, is, are those who practice sexual immorality and sorcerers and immoral persons and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Outside. Now, some people might think, oh, does that mean that there's people are going to, you know, they're going to out, like it's some sort of dystopian movie where you have this cool city and everybody else is outside going, yarr. No, no. Outside is the same outside that, that Jesus taught in the parables. It's a phrase that means hell. Darkness. Then verse 16, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus, the one who is testifying to these things, says, I am the king. I am the root and the descendant of the king. I am the bright and morning star. I am the source of light and hope for everyone and for all eternity. That's who's coming. Yeah. Say it with me. That's who's coming. Yeah. Finally, verse 17. It really is the response Jesus says, I am coming in the response. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And see, I'm not the only one who asks people to repeat stuff. Okay, uh, Let the spirit, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of, uh, let, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. It, this is really cool because you might have heard this before and just kind of extracted this verse. And so, It sounds like the spirit and the bride are asking Jesus to come. That happens, but not here. Jesus says, I am coming, and now here's what it is. The spirit and the bride say, come. The, the Holy Spirit, through the voice of the bride, right now. Say right now. Right now. See, we're still on the, we're back on the Isle of Patmos. We've seen the revelation. We've heard that he's coming. And now, right now, the spirit through the bride becomes the voice of God. And she cries out along throughout the entire earth to come. Who? You, the world, come home. That is what this is saying. The spirit and the bride say, come. And then let the one who hears you individually, if each one of you, you say, come. And who are we talking to? The second part of the verse tells us the one who is thirsty should come. And they should come and they should finally drink of the water of life without cost. Our response, friends, our first response in knowing that he's coming is to lift our voice, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and cry out to the world around us, come home. 
Would you all just say, come home? home. The voice of the Spirit through the church until the very last moment is, come home. Then there's one more warning warning in verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of, of this book of prophecy, God will take away his part in the tree of life from the holy city which are written in this book. The idea that someone would disregard the promise, the prophecy, the statements of what is in this text, God takes very seriously. And finally... Finally, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly. And then now the response, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you all say, come, Lord Jesus? Come, Lord Jesus is the earliest confession of the church. It was the earliest confession, the earliest uh, uh, refrain, uh, worship confessional. Come, Lord Jesus. It is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, as he closed his letter when he said it in Aramaic. He said, Maranatha. It just means, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Friends, at the very close of this book is the confession that the answers to the problems of life do not lie in people's ability to create a better world on their own, but in the return of the one who created and redeemed the world. He is our hope, and history will remain incomplete until Christ returns. It is for this final act that the church waits with longing. This book closes with the cry and the affirmation that the final hope of humanity is the person of Jesus. Considering all that He is and all that is to be and all that He will do at His coming, all the hope, all the justice, all the reward, all the joy, our only great cry can be, Come, Lord Jesus. Would you stand and just say it out loud with me? Come, Lord Jesus. Come on, let's just say it together. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come on, just open your hearts and just say it. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, this is our response to your promise that you're coming. Not to ignore it. Not to try to figure it out. But to anticipate and to welcome. Lord, we're thankful for all the blessings that we have, for all that you do for us, for this world and the people in it and what we have. But Lord, we are not so attached to this life. In fact, we we let go just a little bit more of our attachment to this life. And we lift up our heart and our hands and we say, come, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Finally, the book closes with a prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Why? Because from beginning to end, it has been by His grace. Our hope to overcome and to obey and to enter the promise, grace. Tis grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. 
So we respond to this whole book by relying upon, trusting in the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with us. Amen. Amen. Just sing, not the verse, just that part. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Just sing that part, please. Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I want you to sing it again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. of the apostle I close the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all forever amen amen the Lord bless you friends live with the view of eternity be nice to someone on your way out God bless you big